0: Thanks for joining our YouTube channel. If you haven't done so already, please click that subscribe button to join our community. That way you get notified each and every week a message pops up. With that being said, we pray that this message encourages and inspires you to take one step
1: closer to Jesus.
2: I reached out to a friend of mine by the name of Kingsley Grant. Now you may remember Kingsley, for those of you who've been in our church for a number of years, and to be perfectly honest, it's a very small portion that's is- Church was so much smaller back then, but about nine and a half years ago, he actually came to our church and did a parenting conference. Uh, Kingsley works as a family therapist, and he came in and talked about how to communicate with your teenagers and how to discipline uh, children and all these things very helpful in fact we need to have him back and probably do that all over again uh did a great job and uh and then he he spoke for us that sunday there you also may recognize him because uh, in the heat of uh, the black lives matter conversations that were going on i did a creating the future podcast with kingsley and we discussed things publicly and uh, he was really uh, gracious to do that with us. And he is a phenomenal man of God, spent many, many, many years, 20-something years in full-time ministry uh, before he started doing family therapy, which is still full-time ministry. And now he works as a leadership consultant going around and inspiring greatness in other people, pulling out the deposits that God has put in somebody and allowing them to become everything God has called them to be. And I think he's going to do the same thing for us in this room this morning and everybody watching online, that he's taking what God has already deposited you, the thoughts, the heart that God's already put in you, and he's going to pull it out and make it even greater. And so without further ado, thank you so much for being with us, Kingsley and and Diane. Uh, Come on, let's do it. Translated for my friend Kings
0: Grant. Amen. Arise. All righteous individual. Shout exuberantly. I didn't this side over here didn't hear that. Arise. All righteous individuals. Shout exuberantly! That's who you are. Arise, and today, because he arose triumphantly, victoriously, and ever live, Christ the Savior, we too can live and experience what it is to be alive. And so, I love the, the name of the church arise because when I think about you guys I think about a shouting experience that comes from you and today we want to see what God does in our hearts because it's not just a noise we make the Bible says shout unto God with a voice of triumph and everything that have breath praise the Lord let your shout become a weapon and the enemy, when he hears your shout, tremble in the very caverns of hell. That's a shout that has meaning. Yeah. I believe that God has put that in your heart. Yeah. And today we want to see what God has to say about how we get there. Because sometimes some things get in the way. And today we are going to see how we get past those things. Now on your handout today, you have a space. If you have a pen or a pencil, I'm going to ask you to write something there. But how many of you Have a list, or been given a list of don'ts by a parent or a significant person in your life. Don't do this, don't do that, don't go here. How many of you have that? Right? Don't sit here, don't wear that, don't drink that, right? Now, I want you to think of three don'ts that comes to your mind. Three. And in a few moments, I'm going to ask you to write those three don'ts down I have to say that very carefully. Three don'ts down on your paper. And then I'm going to ask you to think of one of those three. And once you think of one of those three that comes to the top, I'm going to tell you to do something with that later on. So you have three don'ts, but don't start writing yet. Now you're in church, so I'm sure you're not going to jump the gun because you're in church. So when I give the count of three, want you to write down three don'ts. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to write those down. All right? Okay. Here we go. Three, two, one, start. Three don'ts. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Stop writing. Okay. Now, you have three don'ts on your paper, given to you, like you may have been heard somewhere. I want you to pick one of those three don'ts. The one that you would share with a neighbor, if you could share with someone this morning because of COVID, we're not going to ask you to do that. But I want you to pick one, if you could share with a neighbor, which one would you pick? Okay, you have that one. Now, all righteous individuals shout exuberantly. I want you to shout out on the count of three the one that you picked so your neighbor can hear you. Right? But I want you to outshout your neighbor. But at the same time, I want you to think about listening to what you're hearing. I'm not, I'm not asking you too much. I know you guys can do this. I was told you can. As you shout, listen to see if you can hear somebody else shout something you had on your paper. All right. So on the count of three, on, shout as loud as you can what you had. The one you picked out. Oh, here we go. Three, two, one. Right. <laughs> okay. Did anybody hear anyone that had something very similar to yours? Or you shouted so loud that you shouted shout them. That's the point. The king said, why, why did you have me shout out or write down the three don'ts? Because my friend, listen. All of us, our don'ts that have been given has shaped our worldview. It shapes the way we see the world. It shapes the way we experience the world. It shapes everything we pretty much do in the world, that's part of what happens in our lives. So I remember growing up hearing so many don'ts that I remember I wonder sometimes, maybe I need to not even breathe. Because if I just follow every list of things I had to do, all was left is just don't breathe. I get up, don't go there, don't wear that, don't sit here, don't drink that, I mean, all of those things. So women today, females, if you ever have a pair of pants on, sin, sin, sin. (laughs) Because we were told growing up, women should not wear a man's apparel. I'm thinking, okay. But I can tell you one thing, my friend. A pants that was made for a woman, I want to wear it. I don't want to wear it. (laughs) My wife, I've never worn her pants, right? (laughs) I would never try. As a matter of fact, sometimes I see her putting her pants on, and what she goes through to put her pants on, I don't do that. She get on the bed, she throw her feet in the air, and she pull and she pulls and she pull. <laughs> you know what I'm talking to. I mean, women, you know what I'm talking about, those who have those kind of pants. For me, I get my pants, I put it there, I just jump in, boom, it's on. <laughs> and it's all over. Not some woman. So I know that it's not made for me, so it's made for her. Now, guys, if you have long hair, sin, sin, sin. We're told men should not have long hair. So you would be really, really in trouble with God. So you all hear all those things, all those things, and it shaped the way we have behaved and the things we do in our lives. And subconsciously, those things work itself out at times we may not even realize it. Right? So what happened is those don'ts have now shaped how we believe. See, and what happened is our belief shapes our behavior. So on your sheet, you can write this down. My belief shapes my behavior. See, your behavior reflects how you believe. If you want me to know what you believe, just show me what you do. So many times we tell people, I believe this, I believe that. But our behavior betrays us. So you hang around a person long enough, you don't have to ask them what they believe. You now know what they believe. And so many times we have betrayed even our own testimony because of the way we believe, mean, the way we behave. Our belief, which is shaped sometimes by our don'ts, is what causes our behavior to be the way it is. And guess what the world see. Not your belief. They see your behavior. And they make determination of who you are and who you represent by your behavior. Our don'ts sometimes get in the way of our testimony. Our don'ts impact what we do. And this morning, the question is what do you see? What do you see? Our worldview, again, I'm ensuring our lens. How we see the world, what do you see, how we experience the world, our filter is shaped by many of the things we have been told not to do. This is called conditioning. We have been conditioned by these things that have been given to us. Sometimes it's by culture, sometimes it's by our family, and even sometimes, unfortunately, by the church. I know I grew up hearing that myself. And so what it creates is what's called an unconscious bias. It means that I am biased to think certain things and react to moments in our lives with biases. And all of us have biases in our lives. But sometimes those biases is against others. Against others. And we're going to explore that this morning. Now, conditioning, I mentioned before, interferes with our testimony. But I want you to um, imagine with me this morning, imagine being in prison. Imagine being in prison for a crime that you never committed. Imagine being in prison where nobody believed that you never did it, except you and God. Imagine the word on the street is, you are such and such because of what the crime that they allege you committed And so the news have reported that so-and-so have done this crime. Imagine being that person in prison. Imagine being in prison and nobody came to see you. No family, no friend, nobody. Imagine being in prison where you never heard, hear from anybody. No emails, no texts, no phone calls, nothing. You're there by yourself, very lonely. Imagine your birthday came and nobody celebrated your birthday with you. Imagine holidays came, and you spent it all by yourself. Imagine that was you. Imagine how you would feel if that were you. Imagine. I want you to hold that story, that image, in your mind. Because you see, what happened is, the world who looks on and see you in person have a story about you. But not only that, the story might be told about you and your people. If you're that way, that means your family possibly is that way. If you're that way, it means possibly your culture is that way. And one story becomes a bigger story. And that happens many, many times. But I remember that I had one of my don'ts had to do with people and how they identified growing up. And so one day, I happened to work at the bank many years back. There was a gentleman who worked there with me. His name was James. James was a young man. And James was very charismatic, very outgoing and flamboyant. And James... Was also, he identified as being gay. So for me, in man don'ts is don't hang around people like that. People like those. People like them. That was my lens, my worldview that was handed to me. But somehow, James, I was drawn in to build a relationship and began to know James and hear his story. And James told me his story, and every time he told me parts of his story, little by little, as he trusted me over time, my heart went up to James. I no longer saw James the way my lens that was given to me would have me see him. I saw James as a hurting young man. I saw James as somebody who has a need and was crying out for something, a relationship. I saw James as somebody who was treated as an, those people them. I saw James as an outsider trying to get in and had the door closed in his face over and over again and he had to make it up by the way he behaved even more so and draw attention to his pain. But You would not have known that until you got to know James. I began to take James home every, I mean so uh, often from work. James had no car. He would catch a bus to school, to, to work. I remember as time went by, I invited James to church, and James came to church, listened to the word of God, and one day, James gave his heart to Jesus, Amen. He gave his heart to Jesus, and I was so thankful, but I think that, but not only that, see here's what happened, James was very sick, James was HIV positive, and less. James, less and less he started to show up to work. He wasn't showing up to work, missing work, missing work, and eventually he stopped coming to work. And James deteriorated, his body wasted, wasted, and over time, James eventually died. Broke my heart. But I thought about this. What if I don't hang out with people like that? People like those had kept me from somehow interacting with James. Right. But see, God had a way have a way of sometimes putting the very people in our lives that we, in our minds, have been taught or somehow built up a narrative that they are and those people, and here is what you ought to do. But I'm so thankful that God allowed me to interrupt with James, because God has a plan. Because God wanted James to know he loved him like he loved anybody else. God wanted James to know that no matter what he identifies as, his son died for him. God wanted James to know, I have a place in heaven for you, James, and I've come that you too can be saved. James was somebody to God. James was a person. James was created in God's image, and James needed to be treated with dignity. Because of his identity, I looked past, and God helped me to look past that. Why? Two reasons, because of Jesus, what he did for me, and secondly, because of my own experience. See, just in case you're wondering, you may hear this accent, and probably hear some words you probably say, what did he say? (laughs) Uh, I mean, just in case you are wondering, I'm from Jamaica, okay? Any islanders in the house today? Any yardies? (laughs) (laughs) You say a yardie? Well, that's what we would say about Jamaica, you're a yardie. Right? So for me, coming to the States, I left home, when I came to the States, I left my family home. My parents, my siblings, and I came here by myself. Had no support, no family. I remember when I first came here and I tried my best to make my way into a culture that seemingly was resistant to get me into the culture. And I worked hard. I did almost everything the culture asked me to do. But they allowed me to go go so far, but that's it. There was something that says, you can come this far, but no further. And I felt the tension. I wonder sometimes why. Was it my skin color, or because I have an accent, or I'm a Jamaican, and they think about Jamaica, and ganja, marijuana, (laughs)
1: right?
0: I don't know what what the idea was, but somehow that was in the way. I didn't know why. And I remember I pressed in I pressed in but that was my relationship with many. But not only that I remember when I told you imagine earlier imagine as a young man in the states I had no family so when Christmas came no way to celebrate Christmas nobody to celebrate Christmas with because I'm in a strange land no family no friends and sometimes I remember sitting down and saying to myself, why am I here? Why are you putting yourself through all of this? But I know why. I wanted to come to school. I wanted to further my education. I didn't want to get into anybody's business or take from anybody what they had. But holidays came and remember Christmas time. Christmas came. The way I celebrated Christmas with family? By yourself. Yeah. Nobody invited you for Christmas dinner. Nobody gave you a gift. I remember at times where in Jamaica I had people would wash my clothes and wait on me at two cars. Here I had none. I remember holiday times, you had these uh, big parties, and everybody came and showed up here, you're by yourself. Year in, and year out. Lonely,
1: yeah.
0: feeling depressed, and sometimes wondering, should I just go, go back home? But I remember why I came, and I kept that mission ahead of me to keep me going because everything else was discouraging me. I remember one day, while I was attending school and I was trying to get a job, I could not get a job, and my money was getting lower and lower and lower to a point where I had zero money, and I was one day, i never forget this day, I was so hungry. I remember going to bed that night and hungry, had nothing to eat, and the next morning, I got up and had nothing to eat, and even though I wasn't serving God, but I came from a family of Christian home, I remember how to pray, right? When you are in serious trouble, people know how to pray when they're, when they're back against the wall. I remember to cry out to God, and God said, I will hear you. And I'm thinking that, God, you've got to come through for me right now. I'm hungry. I mean, really hungry. You know, it's not just a one meal hungry or a two meal hungry. This is really hungry. If you ever know what it means to be hungry, that's how hungry I was. I remember I was walking to school one day. I used to walk to school, wasn't I lived too far from school? And I was walking to school one day. And I was so hungry. I remember walking down the street, and I saw a McDonald's bag on the sidewalk. I'm thinking, man, I hope something is in that in this bag. And you're thinking, well, Kingsley, yeah, but you don't know what's in that bag. Well, when you're hungry, you don't you don't really care. And see. I was thinking that, imagine what I left, and now I am now have to be stooping to possibly look in a McDonald's bag to find some food. And I picked the bag up, and I opened the bag, and I as, as 10 here this morning and tell you, the McDonald's, the hamburger in there was in its wrapper, still, untouched, no insect. And I'm not sure if it's a heat from the pavement or the actual McDonald's was put there, I mean, just shortly, you know, earlier, but it was still warm, and I picked it up, and I opened the foil very slowly, and my eyes saw this McDonald's hamburger, and I can tell you, I bit it, and that hamburger tasted so good. I've never had hamburger tasting so good than that day. McDonald's have never made a hamburger that tasted that good, never. I mean, I've had a few since then, but it never tasted that good. But not only that, I made sure it lasts every step, one bite. I just wanted to make sure I enjoyed every bite of that. When you're hungry, food tasted good. See, when you have no other source of getting food, you've got to make sure that one piece, every piece counted, not one drop was going to be wasted. That's hungry I was. See, I didn't have any place to turn. I didn't have families to go to, and people saw me, I still had to show up to class, I had to show up among my friends with a smile on my face, I had to show up in my pain, and then didn't see that I all Kingsley as somebody who didn't want to watch carefully and keep at a distance. I felt the tension sometimes. I remember in school, I was in college at the time, and this story I'll never forget, because I don't know exactly where it came from, so I'm speculating, so please understand this, because no one has said it to me. My teacher, I was doing very well in school. I was a straight-A student, and this teacher, for whatever reason, decided to give me my first C in college, and that hit so hard. I was doing so well, came to here to work to go to school, and I got my first C, and I'm asking her why, and she said, her words were, That is not the work of yours. It's not your work. I'd write a paper about an abstract painting that she had us to go downtown Miami to look at called Modern Art. Stupid art, but it's called Modern (laughs) Art, right? I don't know. I I, I didn't see any art in it, but we said, it's art, go and write a paper. And I went down, I got, and I wrote my paper, and she said... You deserve a C because you could not do this work. Now, I don't know why she made a comment because I see no, I mean, there's nothing, my own paper, there's nothing that I went and cheated. She could search and see. There was no kind of other person writing this paper. I was really broken and I said, God, I mean, I didn't say I wasn't praying at the time. I'm thinking, "Is is, is it because of my skin color? Is it because of my accent? What is it? And she would say to me, I mean, she would look at my grades. I've been getting A's, A's, A's. And she said, this could not be your work. I'm thinking, wow. So I didn't, I pushed and I even go to the dean and all the different things. say, well, I'm so sorry. You had to stay with a C. My first C. I was crushed. I'm thinking that this is not fair. This is not right. And then where do I go with my own pain? Stay with myself. I couldn't take it home. Who am I going to? to talk to? Nobody I want to talk to. And every single day, I just still show up, and still smile. What do everybody saw? They saw Kingsley that way, but what they did not see, what had happened, and what's going on in my heart. And see what happened, and I could become very angry. I could begin to now stereotype and say all people like her is like this. But I'm so thankful that even though I had the thought. I mean, I remember one time she she thought I was so angry, she said she had to ask someone to escort her. I don't know why. Escort her from the classroom to her car, because I was hanging around wanting to talk to her, and she just walked by me, and I'm thinking, she's thinking I'm so dangerous. Maybe because I look like, I mean, you know, I I didn't have any looks that would probably make her very fearful. I mean, does this face look fearful? Do I look like a guy who could intimidate anybody, right? (laughs) But yet she had somebody walk her to her car because she wanted me to make sure I don't harm her. I'm thinking, this is more personal than anything else. And I had it in my heart for a long time. Eventually, of course, that was before my Christ-committed days. And I'm thinking, when you see a person out there, what do you see? Who do you see before you? You see, you don't know their story, my friend. What you see on the outside may not be what's happening on the inside. And sometimes who you have beside you, around you, is somebody who you don't know what God has in mind for them. Story of Peter. Peter had the very same experience. And Peter had, in Acts chapter 10, verses 19 to verse 16, is our text. So we had a conditioning happening. Now God was going to recondition Peter's mind. And the scripture says this. The next day, as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the sky open, and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles and birds. Then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. Here's Peter's response. No, Lord, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure and unclean. But the voice spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. It was not about food. That story was about God was going to have Peter meet a Gentile. Jews and Gentiles did not mix. And so God saw Peter was saying, not them, God. Those people I don't mix with. Those people I don't interact with. Those people I don't come in contact with. But God was going to rebuke Peter and say, Peter, who I have called clean, you do not call those people. How dare you call what I've made clean, unclean, them, those kind, those people. God, wanted Peter to understand that Cornelius, a Gentile, was as important as he, Peter, was. Because God created man in his own image. Both the Gentiles and the Jews, the black and the white, the rich and the poor, everybody God created in his image, and God was, Peter, you don't call, what I've cleansed those people. Those kind. Because it was against what God wanted to do. See, Jesus... Himself experienced that. See, Jesus was called son of Beelzebub. He was associated with those who were the, 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 the um, you would say the, the drunkards, right? People who were the outcasts, the outsiders. And he was an immigrant, so to speak, from heaven. And people saw him as such. Here he was, the son of God in their midst. And they saw him, some people saw him as people like that, people like those, and they missed it. What might you be missing today? Because you are looking at that person beside you, not knowing who he or she is, where they've come from. Many people that I know today left jobs like doctors and attorneys and teachers and bankers to come to the States. And because of the transition, they can't work. I remember I had people washing my clothes in Jamaica. When I came here, nothing against dishwashing, but I end up my first job was washing dishes at a restaurant. People saw me washing dishes and called me a dishwasher, not knowing I was a very educated young man, not knowing I had the resources in Jamaica when I was there. But they saw me as a dishwasher, and so that's how they saw. What do you see? What do you see? See, when you see that, God sees something else. God sees something else, and so. We have this, this, this um, tension that happens. See, so here's the thing. You don't know what it is like to be like people like those until you have an experience of that. Jesus had an experience of that. And so if you're here today, remember this. You might be having the feeling of an outsider. People might be treating you as people like those. Remember, even Jesus himself knew what that was. So he can identify with you. And he's here to say to you, I don't see you like people like those. I see you as one that I've come to die for and to love. So you never know who it is you're sitting beside. Going back to the story I asked you earlier to imagine, that story you know very well. That story happened in the Old Testament, the story of Joseph. Joseph was put in prison for a crime he did not commit. Joseph was accused of attempting to rape his master's wife. And she accused him of something he never did. His, her husband believed him and put Joseph in prison. He was in prison for a crime he did not commit. And people saw Joseph as a criminal, as an attempted rapist. They saw him as such. Joseph had no family to come to see him. He was there by himself, but he did what he had to do. See, people saw Joseph as a prisoner, but God saw him as a prime minister. See, you don't know what God has for that person who you've tipped aside and worked beside. See, people saw me as a dishwasher or as a Jamaican, an immigrant, but today they didn't see that God had in me an author and speaker, yeah. a coach, yeah. a leadership trainer. That's yeah. what God had in mind. See, they saw me as one thing, but God saw me as something else. Wow. And thank God, God allowed somebody to see in me what He saw yeah. and reach out to me. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the person that God's crossed your path with is the next author, next speaker, next coach, next licensed marriage and family therapist who now have their own business. What do you see? What do you see? Mm, You never can tell who God has brought across your path and why he has brought them. My friend, don't let the media and others poison your mind against people because of their beliefs, because of their position on any issue. Remember this, my friend. Look past that. See them as God's creation. See them as you having a higher call. This will one day be over. And how many have given their lives for this? This. This. So here's what happened today. I want to leave this with you. Where you sit determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. What you do determines how they believe. How they believe came because of where you sat. Where are you sitting today? Where are you sitting today? Maybe God wants you to shift your seat so you can see as he sees. Maybe what God is calling you to do, if you've been a recipient of such, God's calling you to change and say, hey, I too have experienced that. Let me love on you. Let me show you how I see you. Don't let what others say about you become true of yourselves. See, how often I could have believed what they said about me or thought about me. But God said, no, you're somebody else that I have a mission for, a goal for, a Pastor Brent mission. after 22 years of youth ministry, I've seen kids come in. I have dedicated kids that came to youth ministry. I've married some today. They didn't see that, but God saw that. Where you sit, my friend, determines what you see. What you see determines what you do. What you do determines what they believe, family and friends and neighbors believe. And what they believe all came about. is all based on where you sat. Today, God's asking you to change your seat. God's asking you to change your seat so that you can see differently. To see as he sees. And so we no longer say people like them. People like that. Because God is saying, no, they're special. They're mine. And maybe that's you. You may have been felt that way in school, in work, and be treated that way. God is also saying to you, I know what it's like, I've been there, I can identify, let me love you, let me love you, let me show you what it's like, where you sit determines what you see, what you see determines what you do, what you do determines what they believe. they believe is all based on where you're sat change your seat would you bow your heads please god let people see what seat they need to change while you're sitting there reflecting in a few moments i know they're going to have an altar call but I want you to think about this. Where do you fall? Are you one of those who are the recipient, of been treated like people like those? There's a space for you. God has prepared a space for you. But are you one who have been seeing people like that because of your don'ts possibly in your life? God is saying, change your seat. When they had the altar call today, there will be people up here who want to pray with you Whatever it is, it's confidential. It's between you and God and, and that person. But let someone stand in the gap with you. What do you see? What do you see? Thank you for watching this message today. We ask that you hit the subscribe button and share this message on all social platforms. And we are hoping that you were encouraged and blessed by what you heard. And we cannot wait to see you next time.